God's grace and peace be with you now and always, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, everything for the sermon this morning is printed out for you in the service folder on page 4 and page 5 if you want to follow along. There's also small group, connect group questions um, for your meditation, either by yourself or in that small group that we pray that you're with um, to meditate on this week. I grew up as a middle child. One brother and two sisters. Any other middle children here? Anybody else can relate with this introduction? Three people, four people, five. There we go. There are the hands. You can, and, and I was a middle child, but I was a lower middle child. So there's actually a difference between that because we had four, and I was the third out of the four. So I was a baby for a while, and I was spoiled. And then all of a sudden, my sister came along, and I lost out on that. And that was a traumatic day, but I forgave her for being born now. And we're past that. My brother, Jeremy, he was the romantic, the oldest, the leader. He had the ideas. He put us into action around his whole kingdom. My older sister, she was the tomboy. My little sister was spoiled, but like I said, I forgave her for that now. And now she's, even if you're watching Anna, I apologize. She's on cloud nine. She's about to have her first little baby living in Kansas with her husband. And I was pegged as the sports fanatic in the family, as the third child. Whether it was watching it or whether it was playing it from a very early age, that's what I loved to do. My whole world at that time revolved around um, the seasons like football and basketball, especially basketball and some baseball. Um, I grew up in Oklahoma for most of my life, but before we moved there, we lived in the suburbs of Chicago in the 90s, early, early 90s. And as a preschooler and a kindergartner, I had the privilege of watching his airness play right there in Chicago on TV almost every night. And it was awesome to see him flying around the court. Michael Jordan with his tongue sticking out, and I thought the world of him, and maybe there's some of you out there that thought the world of him too, but it was a great thing, and, and, and I've forgiven my father since, but he took my older brother for the one opportunity to go to the United Center half an hour away to see him play live. I wish I had that opportunity, but I didn't. Uh, to this day, I, I, I'm all about his, his airness. I, I'm all about Space Jam, and I, I love the, the Nike commercials, and I would stick out my tongue when we were playing hoops on the court. I even collected uh, Jordan's dream team, right? The 1992 Olympic dream team. I have all of their starting lineup figures. Hannah calls them my dolls. I can, they're, they're stored away in a box. But out of all of my memories about Michael Jordan, there's one picture that sticks out in my mind, and it's this one. Has anybody seen this picture before? This is Michael Jordan's first NBA championship in 1991. But this is just the beginning of the story. His tears and his uh, arms just grabbing that trophy, that uh, Larry O'Brien trophy. He would go on and he would win five more of these. But this isn't the fifth one or the sixth one. This is the first one. And what this picture doesn't tell you, it tells you about a man that's very happy about winning a championship, but it doesn't tell you the work that was put into 
each and every championship that came after this. He had such an obsession, and I'm learning in my later life that he was super obsessed with competitiveness, even to the point where he's ruined his life in some areas. But he was so obsessed with winning that trophy because he knew what that feeling was like to have the Larry O'Brien trophy in his arms that he never gave up trying to keep that trophy. He would start practice at his house even after he won his first championship, he would practice for hours at his house before regular practice. And soon his teammate, Scottie Pippen, started coming over and they would practice together before practice. And even after practice, there's stories about Pippen and Jordan going late into the night into midnight. And it wasn't fun, and it wasn't where they maybe wanted to be, but, but this is where he wanted to be year after year after year. And his teammates followed him in the trials, in the workouts, in the off-season conditioning. He held himself to the highest standard because he loved holding the trophy in his hands. This morning, James says this. He writes, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That crown of life right there, that is the Larry O'Brien trophy in their minds back then. This is, the, this is what the sprinters and the athletes that would compete in the arenas in the first century, this is what they would strive for. It was the crown as a wreath that they would receive. It's like receiving the Stanley Cup in hockey or it's getting the Lombardi trophy in football. Standing on the podium and getting the gold medal in the Olympics. This is what the, the crown of life is all about. And it's that feeling that you saw just a moment ago. You've seen it on, on numerous athletes' face when they win the championship. It's the tears that come. It's the crown of life. It's being blessed. It's winning. It's having it all. But let me ask you, where is the champions from last year? Where are they now? Where, where are the Super Bowl champions today? I, I didn't hear somebody say in court. <laughs> they're on the field and they're doing two-a-days in 100-degree weather. That means that they're persevering, they're holding up underneath the trials and the temptations because they love the feeling of having the trophy. Now, this is where this analogy, the sports analogy, completely breaks down, is that the trophy that you and I have, the crown of life, that feeling of having your arms around the trophy, you didn't earn that and you didn't go to camp to earn it. You didn't go through film sessions to, 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 to take hold of this trophy, but it was given to you. And we're going to see later on in the text that it was gifted to you. It's called God's free gift of forgiveness. It's called grace, gratis, free, and it's given to you. This crown of life was given to you. He won the championship for you, and he has imputed it and given it to you. And you have your arms around it. James is writing to those people that are blessed, those people who have the crown of life, and he's saying this, although God has given you this free gift of forgiveness and peace today and, and grace and unending love, although he's given you that, he still may allow you to go through the vigorous training of a champion. He may still allow you to go through the trials and the temptations that we read about in the story of Daniel. Or maybe there's a temptation or a trial in your life, and you're saying to God, my life doesn't seem very blessed. Does it feel very blessed when your neighbor kicks you in the shin? And as a Christian and as a believer, you have to say, you're forgiven, I forgive you. You'd feel more blessed if they would stub their toe, right? 
It doesn't feel very blessed to live in this world where we're called names like bigoted or backwards because we follow what God says about the family and about marriage. We don't feel very blessed. We'd feel blessed if he came down in our trials and our temptations and, and he would take a stand in court for us. We don't feel very blessed when we deal with the addiction and we find ourselves failing again and again and again. And so this is what James is posing to his people. He's saying, blessed are you who go through the two-a-days and the heat. Blessed are you who, literally in the Greek, it's, it, the persevere, the word means to stand up under, not run away, but to stand up underneath the persecutions and the pains that we have in our life, the temptations. And you and I are constantly confronted with this fight or flight. You know, the fight is worth it because the trophy is in our hands, right? It's worth the fight because of that feeling that we saw on the screen just a minute ago. But here's what we're confronted with constantly. We're confronted with this decision to fight, that is, stand up underneath the temptation, or to flee from it completely, to run away. For you young people going off to college or maybe in high school, you're going off to school pretty soon, you're, you're going to be confronted with the temptation at the drinking party when the keg is tapped to either stand up for what you know your Savior God has made you to be or to flee from that. And you as single people, whether you're old or young, you're confronted with this whole world that, that looks at marriage as something trivial um, and sex as something trivial. In those moments when you see other people enjoying each other's bodies freely, you're going to be confronted with a fight or flight question. Are you going to stand up underneath the temptation or are you going to flee away from it? You marry people. Goodness, I, I was reading the news this week and there's a website that, that you can have infidelity with another person, ashleymadison.com. They've been hacked and, and, and 39 peop, million people are looking to have an affair at any time around the world right now. Those married couples are confronted with the fight or flight. And here's the thing in our society today is that temptation becomes easier and more accessible than ever. Temptation's a big deal and it's becoming easier and easier to give in to this temptation and to, and to give this trophy that we have that, that James talks about away. It's in addiction whether it's a screen addiction or whether it's an addiction at the bottom of a pill bottle or the bottom of a, a, a Jim Beam bottle. There's a temptation there to fight or to flight. And very often, if we give in to that temptation long enough, and this is where James is going with his thought process, the trophy that we have in our hands that God works so hard for to give us the crown of life can be lost and dropped. And that's why James comes so urgently and he asks people to think about the temptation that you're facing. It's not a little puppy. It's not just a little dog that might nip you here and there and give you a little scratch, but Peter says that it's like a roaring lion waiting around the corner to devour you. And so, yeah, James is trying to scare us because this is a real thing that when we're dealing with temptation, it's a real thing that leads to spiritual death. And that's what he gets to in the next words um, here in verse 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does, any, nor does he tempt anyone. So at the end of the service, I say to you, God is good, and you say? Because of this verse, nothing bad or evil comes from God, but he's good all the time. And so in my temptation, I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to say, God, you put this person here, or, or God, you, 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 you constructed this thing to, that I would fall into temptation again. No, God's not sadistic. But God is good all the time. And if we're going to understand and we're going to grapple with temptation, we have to understand where it comes from. And it doesn't come from above. We're going to learn what comes from above in a moment. But the temptations that we face come from within. That's why he goes on and he says this, but each one, that means Dan, <laughs> each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. And therefore our temptation is not a problem from above, but a problem from within. At the core of, uh, of, of our human existence is this rebellious nature called the sin nature that does not want to live in harmony with God. We saw it in Adam and Eve, our first parents. We see it today in our desires. There's this, this heart in me that constantly wants to fight against God. And when I feel the poke or the prod, when I, when I have that trigger go off, that, that, that would, would say, you're about to be hurt because of your faith. You're, you can't enjoy the world like the rest of, like the rest of unbelievers. You can't, you can't partake in everything that everybody else is going to do. That, when, when that gets prodded, my faith gets prodded and poked, that's when this evil desire comes in that takes this trophy that I have my arms around and say, this trophy that I'm holding is not as valuable as what I could have here in the moment. And so what do we do? Evil desires give way to sin. I drop the trophy. And I take hold and I put this new God on the throne. Whatever it is in your life, that's the new God that I put on the throne and I put my arms around it. And that is scary because this is what it leads to. Desire in our hearts and our minds gives birth to sin. And it goes on to the next verse. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it grows up, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And James is saying here, that's when the crown of life falls off. And that's when the trophy falls from your hands. And you have lost the spiritual battle. It happens, uh, to, it happens in my life too where, where I depose that, that crown of glory. And I look for these little tinsels and little treasures in this world. And it's a shame of what I replace for this beautiful trophy that God has given me. Instead of having my eyes focused on the eternal equity that God gives us, right? Peace in heaven, a life of forgiveness here on earth. Instead of that eternal prize that he gives us, that eternal equity, I have my eyes on Wells Fargo. <laughs> and that gives birth, that desire gives birth to death. Because now, instead of seeking treasures in heaven, I'm seeking treasures on this earth. And if I give in to that temptation and I sin because now I'm taking my calendar and I'm not putting my calendar or scheduling around treasures in heaven, I'm scheduling around treasures on earth that are going to fade away and going to be gone someday. I, I, I'm going to make my pursuit in my career making more and more money instead of making my life goal to be the best woman of God and the best man of God that God has made me, including a parent. 
Do you see what we exchange for the trophy? That all is going away someday, the, the world. But God has given me the treasure forever in heaven. I, I exchange um, God's acceptance, right? God says, I made you a child of God and I've given you this identity. I exchange that fear of God and that, that, that identity that he gives to me for the identity that other people may perceive of me. And so I start acting like a different person than God has made me because I want to fit into this niche over here. And when I try to fit into that niche, when I have that desire, all of a sudden I'm doing things. It's leading to sin, like James says. And that sin, when it gets full grown, I'm so far away from what God's desire for my identity is that I've lost it all. Desire gives birth to sin, James says, and sin gives birth to death. And it's at that point when I'm so far away from my identity that God has given me because I've fallen into temptation and, and, and I've replaced the trophy with this tinsel and treasure of this world that I've lost it all. And I pray to God, and this is really what we're praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, I can't hold on to it all by myself. I can't fight the temptations and do it all on my own. I can't. No one can. Because I keep finding myself falling into the same temptations that I thought I had beat the week before. And if you've asked that question about God, God, how can I fight to keep this trophy in my hands? I can't do it on my own. Then you've prayed the right prayer. Because God says, that's exactly where I want you so that I can be your Savior God and I can rescue you. In verse 16, James says, do not be deceived. And he's telling Pastor Dan, Dan, if you think that you have this fight all by yourself, no, you don't. The fight belongs to the Lord, and he's the Savior God that wants to come down and fight your temptation for you and with you. And so James goes on, the next verse. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Now listen, he said a couple of verses before, nothing evil comes down from above, but only good. That means God is only good, and he's giving every good and perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Has it ever happened to you? Uh, it happens to me almost every week, it seems, that you're driving in the car, right? And it, you're on your commute on the way home, and, uh, and the sun is coming down, and you, you, it, well, it glares right in your face, and so you put your sunglasses on. But then you take a turn the other way, and, and the sun is coming in on the side of your sunglasses, so you put the, si the visor down, and, and you put it this way. But then all of a sudden, you take a turn to the northeast, and all of a sudden, the sun is over here, and you're, you're flipping your visor back and forth, and you're frustrated putting it up and down, and, and finally, you say, thank you, God, I got some relief, you know, now, now it's right there but then you start going up a hill and the sun comes below the visor and you can't see 10 feet in front of you you're praying to God that he keeps you safe shifting shadows that's what it feels like in life sometimes we find the right self-help book or we find the right advice in this one moment and we, and we follow it for a time but then circumstance change in our life and we're in, in life we're taking the visor and we're going back and forth and up and down putting our sunglasses on but what James is saying here God does not change like shifting shadows. His shade, His protection, even against your biggest demon, is consistent. It's not up to you to put the sunglasses on and to take the visor and flip it in every direction. You're going to grow frustrated. But He's asking you to put your faith in Him in your temptation. 
because he does not change like shifting shadows. And here is what he gives you. This is the gift that comes down from above that helps us fight temptation. It's a good gift. That means in the original language that it's morally mature. Think about how immature you've been this week, morally. Maybe it's in your thoughts, maybe it's in those deceptions that you have in your mind, maybe it even gave birth to sin. This gift from above is good and perfect morally. And number two, he says this gift is perfect. In the original language, that means that this gift is the right fit. It's not mediocre, but it's exactly what you and I need as sinners. It's a good, it's perfect, and it's a gift, gratis, free. That means that it cannot be paid back, nor should it be paid back, because if it were paid back, then it wouldn't be a gift. And it comes down from the Father. Let me ask you, what is the good, the perfect gift that comes down from the Father? Jesus. Your Savior, Jesus. 2,000 years ago, there was a man that claimed that he was God. And you know what? He backed it up because he lived his whole life as a human being like you and me. And he went through the same trials and the same temptations. He was a man. He cried. He laughed. He went to parties. He had Satan on his doorstep knocking at his door asking him to sin again and again and to rebel against God. But you know what? He never did. Not once. Not once. And this is the crime that was committed against him. He was put to death like he had committed every crime, like a criminal. Even though he was good morally and he was perfect, he was the good and the perfect gift that came down from the Father. And it says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is, that God gave us the crown of life for free, gratis. But then you're saying, Pastor Dan, look at the text. You got this wrong. The gift is not has come down, but the gift is coming down. That means this, that you and I, although our faith is based on that full and free forgiveness at the cross, that God continues today, August 23rd, 2015, to give that gift because it's coming down present tense. That means there's relief today. That means that there's hope today in my temptation and in my trials. And that means that God is there for me today, in my life, here and now, not just 2,000 years ago. This gift that he gives us, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In other words, God gave his best to make you your best. When Jesus came to this world and forgave your sins, he came not just to, to make a story about it, but he came actually to come into the lives of people and to change people. In other words, in the words of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, this is what 
what Paul is writing to the Romans, and he's saying this life that you're given on the cross and the life that's coming down, the gift that's coming down from the Father, you're born in the Word of God, it says here in James. In other words, the promises in the Word of God, like this baptism now saves you, your baptism has a changing effect on how you and I live and how we hold up underneath temptation. God not just saves us from our temptation, which he has, and he's forgiven you for it, but he's also giving you the tools to go forward next week in temptation when you're confronted with trials. This is what it says in Romans 6, 1-4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in the sin of the gra- that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live in it any longer? Or do you not know? that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He's saying here, God saved you from your sin, but he saved you so that you could be your best. Just like Jesus was good and perfect morally, he has turned the gossiper into a truth teller. He has forgiven the luster. And he chose to forgive the luster. But he didn't just choose to forgive the luster. He chose to turn the luster into somebody that has pure thoughts and motives. He has forgiven the thief. But he's not just chosen to forgive the thief. He's decided and chosen to turn the thief into a generous person. That's what James is saying. He's saying you were made to be the best. You were made to be the first fruits. In the first century, that word first fruits means cream of the crop, the 99 percentile. Battle of Victorian, the very, very best. God asked his people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, really, to all, all believers, to give their best. When the harvest came in, they would give their first fruits. They would give it over to God as an offering. But here it's reversed. God is saying, I died for you and I forgave you so that I could make you the first fruits, the very best version of yourself, the version that Jesus died for on the cross. And these are the tools that he gives us when he has given us our baptism and the forgiveness of sins and he chooses to change us sinners into the exact opposite. He's given us the tools and the number one tool is this. He's given us the Holy Spirit. That is Jesus' Spirit. So that in that moment of temptation that you're going to face this week, he he gives you the power of your baptism that we just heard from Romans chapter 6. That Jesus is standing with you and he's, he's there in the temptation with you. Number two, he gives us uh, a Christian community. That means that he gives us believers, brothers and sisters in the faith who struggle with the same things that, that we struggle with. Or brothers and sisters in the faith that are brave enough and love us enough to call us out when we're facing temptation and we're folding again and again and again. He promises to give us, we read in Daniel, his angel, his angels. And so when we pray the prayer, lead us not into temptation, in the Lord's Prayer, we're not praying, Lord, you're the one that causes us to, to sin and to be tempted. No. Lord, send us your angels to protect us like you protected Daniel in the lion's den. Like you protected Daniel when he was faced with the option to pray or not to pray. To fight or to flee. He gives us spiritual leaders. 
your pastors. Whether you're at Holy Word or you're listening over the airwaves, He gives you people in your life that are more spiritually mature than you. I, got, I have to guarantee that. I find that in my life. Every pastor finds it in their life that there's somebody more mature than them that they can go to for guidance, for advice, and for number five, the most important gift that He gives us in our temptation, which is the Word of God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that it's an armor for our hearts and a shield for our heads. Isn't that something? Have you ever thought about that in your temptation, that you have armor for your hearts and a helmet for your head? My prayer is that you go to the Word of God and that you read it very often, every day, so you can protect yourself with that full and free grace that you have from God. Because, and here is my prayer for you at, as we close, because you have the trophy in your arms. And there's nothing worth dropping that trophy for. There's no tinsel, there's no treasure that this world has or offers that's better than the eternal gifts, the crown of life, and being blessed. The promise that God gives you in His Son, Jesus. And so go this week. And fight with the armor of God, the Word of God, and go fight with, with your Christian brothers and sisters and, and, and the spiritual leaders. And fight because the trophy is in your hands. Amen.